Today is June 24th, 2015. Uh, the call, the uh, title of tonight's message is Call of Duty. Call of Duty. And all the youth just perked up because they thought, oh, and Curtis perked up because he thought, <laughs> there's no Xbox, so we're not going to bust out any Xboxes or anything tonight to play the game Call of Duty, but the title of tonight's message is Call of Duty. Um, I just want to tell you guys how much I love you. I'm sitting, I'm standing here and just overwhelmed with gratitude that God has put us together as a family. Uh, I come here on a Wednesday night and we have uh, no desire to perform. We're not trying to perform for anybody. We're just trying to all get in the presence of God. We did kind of a, a more of a home meeting feel tonight. As they say, sands the drums, you know, minus the drums. We're just doing some different things just to go, hey, you know what? This is not about performance. This is not about, we want, obviously we want to give our best to the Lord, but we're just trying to find the heart of God. And I love doing it with you guys. It really is. It's such a joy. Um, tonight we're going to talk about Call of Duty. We're going to kind of be based around the book of Luke. So we'll kind of make our, a track through the book of Luke and, um, and do some different things here. Um, as I was studying and preparing tonight, the idea of calling out, those who called out to the Lord. Uh, those who called out in different ways to the Lord. We're actually going to focus on a few people and what they did to call out. And some of them were good. And some of them, you find out some kind of negative things that got called out. Uh, let's start off in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Let's start in verse 23. What I hope to do tonight is this. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I can, uh, I mentioned it during the worship service, but sometimes, have you ever just gotten in a fog? You're just kind of walking around in a fog sometimes. You're going through life. Oh, it's happening. The days are ticking by and you can scratch them off your calendar. Anna does that. She, she is our calendar scratcher offer in our house. So we've got the calendar on the, on the uh, refrigerator and she comes in and sometimes she falls down on the job and she's got to do like a whole week, but she just loves it. Where do I go to, Dad? Mom, how many do I get to do? Right. Sometimes we're just going through, um, um, when I was a band director, there's a thing that you do and it's called marking time. Mark time. So I want the people, I want the, my marchers to keep their feet moving but not go anywhere. I want them to keep feeling the rhythm of everything. I want them to stay in time with what's going on, but I don't need them to move. I just need them to mark time. Sometimes we mark time in, my, in our own lives. What's happening then? Just another day. Going to work, going home, dinner, church, cleaning crew, whatever it may be. We just keep going and kind of, uh, we get in a rhythm and sometimes our calendar runs us. Have you guys ever had that kind of a time period where you're like, I don't know where I'm going next, I don't know what I'm doing, I need to see my calendar or I just won't get there and I'll, I'm, I'm there a lot of the times. Like, <laughs> Chris would be like, okay, what do we got today? And I'm like, I have no idea, hang on. <laughs> but I know that what I don't want to do is mark time through my life. I know that the kingdom is not designed for us to mark time. There may be times where he says to stop and to wait. But the idea is that we're not supposed to just be marking time. We're not just doing this just for the sake of doing it. There are, there's a purpose in our life. And so I think tonight as we learn to call out to God, I think God's going to bring some clarity to us. I think he's going to bring some encouragement to us. The, the two thoughts that I have, and they're really not necessarily related to the scriptures, just I'm sharing my heart before we get to the, to the context of the scripture. One was just kind of a fog. I'm praying that the fog be lifted from everybody. 
If you're walking around in a fog, then I'm praying that that just dissipate in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not saying you're doing anything bad. I'm just saying it's, you're just marking time there's in a fog. The other thing that I'm praying for you guys, that, I, that while I was praying, I just felt like this for you guys tonight, that he will take um, in a movie, sometimes a guy will walk over to a girl and he'll take her by the chin and just lift up her head. That's kind of the way I felt that the Lord wanted to do for some of us here. It's not, a, not grabbing you by the head and snapping you back. He's just saying, hey, would you look up at me? Would you quit focusing on the things that are right there in the immediate part of your life? Would you quit focusing down? Why is your, he- why is your face so downcast? Why is your head, why are we down? Because we serve a great king. So he's just going to take us tonight and just very gently and just go and just lift up our eyes. And what I hope to do is that this scripture, the scriptures that we read tonight will do that for us. Maybe for you it will clear the fog. Maybe the fog is the better analogy for you. Maybe it's just... You ever real, sometimes it takes you a while to realize that things are going on. Um, I wear contacts. And so every once in a while, contacts, they're only designed to be... Mine are only designed to be worn for like two weeks. <laughs> or two months in my case, right? But after a while, what, what happens is, is they degrade just slow enough that you really don't notice it. I, they start having just tiny problems, and those problems kind of grow. And after a while, you're like, man, I probably should have changed this a long time ago. You just don't notice it because it's such a slow, gradual thing. Our heads can get down sometimes just because it's a slow, gradual thing. <coughs> One of the abuses that they did to us in college when I became drum major at LSU was... Uh, and they, they have since changed because they just bought different equipment. Okay, but it was a, it was a torture task. Uh, we'd have all-day practices, the equivalent, if you were in athletics, of a two-a-day or a three-a-day. So we'd have breakfast, practice all morning, have lunch, practice all afternoon, have dinner, practice all night, or till about 9 o'clock at night, right? So as drum major at, the, at the, our preseason band camp, part of my job was to stand below the director's podium and just hold the music for hours. <laughs> You're trying not to get the little quakes going on, but for hours because I became their little podium. So Because we were outside and on the field and they're just teaching away and I'm like, <laughs> I need a break. That, that kind of torture because the last thing you want to do is start having... They just grab it and pull it up and you're like, oh! <laughs> you start fading out in your thinking. That slow, gradual uh, fade is what we're trying to fight. Amen? Amen. Happens to all of us. Doesn't excuse it, though, because we have a great God. So in Luke chapter 11, it's kind of the the heart behind what tonight is. Um, In Luke chapter 11, we'll start in verse 23. It says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. I love how Jesus is so plain on this thing, right? You're either for me or you're against me. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left, to the person that I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of the man is worse than the first. We're kind of jumping in in the middle of a whole discussion, a whole spiritual discussion here. But I wanted to give you a little bit of the context. And really, what I want to focus on is this next verse. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out. 
Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Well, that's a nice little saying. He's literally talking about spiritual battle, casting out demons. What happens if that person who's cast get a demon cast out of him doesn't get filled with something in its place? You get some buddies and you get more. You get, that person's worse off than they started with. So in this context, in the middle of this, she calls out and says, I like your mom. Um, I'm glad you like my mom. <laughs> blessed, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Um, sometimes when we call out things, it, it's hard. We weren't there, right? We only have the text that's given to us. And look what Jesus says. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. They do it in other places, don't they? Where they're saying, hey, Jesus, your mother, your family's outside. Who's my mother? Who are are my brothers? Aren't they those that do the will of the Lord? So what I want you to encourage, and if you're taking notes, you can, I've got some little, little slides for you tonight. The first one says this. In the kingdom of God, there are no superstars. There are only servants. If you've got your head down because there are no superstars, there are only servants. Isn't that what they're trying to do in this? Blessed is your mother. You're really cool, so wow. Let's have the whole group that's around you feel like they're cool too. Let's, let's have, if you're on fire, then we want people around you who can kind of smolder along with you. Our natural environment says, um, if I'm not as... Um, prolific as Daniel. If I'm not as, as good of a Christian, if I can't do what Daniel can, can do, well, he's a superstar. So we want to elevate other people, either one, because there's a natural desire in us as human beings to worship something, even if it's someone else. And if it's not that, if I lift him up and say that there's something super special about him, you know what I'm really doing? I'm exonerating myself. I'm separating myself from the responsibility that I can actually be just like him. That I can do what he's doing, but if I make it, if I lift him up, then I can excuse myself and say, "Well, he is a great superstar." Oh, well, Pastor Eric can. Oh, Brent Vincent can. No, here I see in the scripture he says, "Blessed rather are those who hear the word of the Lord and obey it." Then that take the it takes all the fluff out of it. There aren't any superstars in the kingdom. That's not the way it's designed. We don't handle being superstars very well, do we? A man is tested, the proverb says, by the praise he receives. We talk about the testing and we only think about it in a negative context. Are you tested by troubles? Well, sure you are. And you're also tested when someone is praising you. You're also tested when everybody likes you. You're also tested when you're on the job and you're finding favor and getting promoted. That could be just as much of a test as when someone walks up and punches you in the face. Now, to argue maybe that the... the, the harder one to pass is when people are praising you sometimes. When someone's coming against you, it's pretty clear, and you at least you can put on your battle gear. You, you know what they're bringing, and you can attack that as the way you should. The Bible says there are no superstars. There's only servants here. Take a look at the next verse in uh, chapter 11, verse 29. As the crowds increased. Everybody say, the crowds increased. Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. You ever think about this? I mean, this is what, you know, 2,000-ish years ago? This is wicked. And like, 
What would he call us? What would he call where we hang out, right? Yikes. It, uh, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign. Show me something. Prove to me. Show me what your God can do. But none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. <laughs> Jesus is basically saying, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. Three days and three nights, Jonah was in the belly of the whale, belly of the great fish. Doesn't say whale, sorry. I slipped into a, to a nursery rhyme kind of mentality there. The great fish, whatever that may have been. So Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Amen. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Do you understand what he's... He's setting this up and saying, look, let's, let me tell you about your own history here. Uh, Queen of the South, Queen of Sheba, came. And we'll read that in just a second. We'll see what she did. She found the witness of the Lord from Solomon. The people in Nineveh found the witness of the Lord from Jonah. And Jesus is saying, seriously? Who's, who's standing before you? You've got the King of all creation standing right before you. How much more will you stand in judgment for neglecting, how much more will we stand in judgment for neglecting the King of Kings? Turn to 1 Kings, speaking of Kings, chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. <clears throat> Let's start in verse 1. When the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Queen of Sheba, far off, comes in and says, man, this, the word has gotten around. Word has spread about you, O King Solomon. So she came in and she was ready to test him. She's like, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, let's see how good you really are. A queen walks in. She's like, I think I can handle myself. I'm a queen. I, I can ask him some questions that will be very difficult. Two, Verse 2. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan. Didn't know they had Dodgers back then, did you? With camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold, and precious stones. She came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon, listen to this progression. Some other time I'll have, to, I'll have to dig into this a little bit deeper, but make some mental notes of the way this progression goes. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, even how he had his officials around him spoke to Sheba. Even the arrangement that he had at the dinner table was impressive to her. The attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, 
and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She was in awe. She was completely floored by everything that she saw. Verse 6, she said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and about your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report that I heard. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. This is a foreign dignitary coming in and going, they couldn't even tell me half. I heard the most ridiculous compliments about you, and it's not even half right. What I'm seeing is so much beyond what I even anticipated. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And then the next verse is it goes on into the, one of the most ridiculous offerings ever collected in Israel. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold. In the bottom of my little Bible, it says perhaps up to four and a half tons of gold. Large quantities of spices and precious stones. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. You know, there were a lot of dignitaries that came and visited King Solomon. Do you know that he collected incredible offerings from all these people as they came in honor to King Solomon? No one ever gave a gift like the Queen of Sheba. Let's go back up and look at a few things here. Let's start in verse 8. And put yourself as the attendants in King Solomon's court. Consider you, consider me, as being the attendants. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Uh, Let me encourage all of us not to take for granted where we are and what God is doing in our midst. (laughs) How happy LCMF members must be. I mean, how... What incredible things God is doing in your midst. It's, it's as if the king of all kings were there with you. It's as if he had the lampstand of his presence amongst you. He literally walks amongst you. People are healed. Things are happening. You hear the word. How happy must we be? Are you? Are, are you reflecting that? Would people look at you and be like, wow. Because they can see what's going on and they're impressed with what's going on and go, Man, you guys, you must, you must never have a problem. And that wasn't true, was it? It can't possibly be true that they never had a rainy day in King Solomon's court, right? But the impression of God's amazing favor upon him was that, my gosh, all your people must stay happy all the time. They must be so favored. They must be so appreciative of getting to hear the very wisdom of heaven, the very movement of the Spirit. Let me encourage us. This is an incredible thing. So the first, the first point I made was no, there's no superstars in the kingdom. There's only servants. The next one is this. We have no excuses. We only have examination. She didn't make any excuses. She walked in ready to give. She showed a hunger. The queen of Sheba, a foreign ruler, came in and said, not only am I coming into your presence, but I know 
as is appropriate, I have gifts with me. Maybe she had so much because she was visiting multiple countries and multiple leaders and trying to make a round for her to increase her knowledge. And she decided, <laughs> I'm making this part up, right? I don't have any, there's no biblical backing. She just gave it all right there going, this is it. I hit the jackpot. It reminds me of, of a pearl being found and going selling everything to buy the field. It reminds me of something that's precious that you give everything that you have. Let's not be around something so much and get so comfortable with something so much and be in a fog enough and have our head down that we miss the glory of what God is doing in our midst. Let's, let's not forget that we serve an incredible God. Let's not forget and be willing. I don't want to let monetarily Queen of Sheba can outgive me, but as far as percentage of what you got, she can't outgive me. She can't do it. Because I don't have any excuses. There's not an excuse that I have. There's not something that I'm going to rest upon. I'm not going to rest on laurels. I'm not going to rest on the past. I'm not going to do anything else but continue to press in and go, Wow, Lord, I hope that today I gave you literally everything I had. And if I didn't, Lord, forgive me. And tomorrow I'm going to try it again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Because what happens to them? They're going to be filled. Hunger and thirst equals filled. If you're not filled, perhaps you should be. If there's some lack in your life, let me encourage you that it's not from the Lord's problem. That's not the Lord's issue. Perhaps it's that you're not hungry and thirsting enough and we're hungry for other things. We have a taste for other things. You ever get... Uh, I'm going to use a word my dad used to use. You ever get a hankering for something? You ever get a craving for some type of food? Like, what are you going to you know, start mouth? You start thinking about it and you plan out your menu and like what you're going to order if you go to this. Stop it. Those of you who are doing that right now, just stop because we're not done yet. Right? You know what I'm talking about? There's, it, you actually start responding in a, <laughs> this behavioral way like, oh, getting hungry, starting to salivate. How much more should we be hungry for the things of the Lord? Yeah. Yeah. Are you allowing yourself to be satisfied with something else than His presence? Is it the accomplishment? Is it the praise of man? Is it the pat on the back? Is it the money in the account? Is it the... What is it? Are we allowing anything else to satisfy us? And how do you know? Perhaps we should be how happy your men must be. When we're really satisfied with what the Lord's doing, there's a peace, there's a comfort, there's a joy that comes upon us. Well, I'm as hungry as I can be for the Lord. Well, I hope so then you should be full of joy. You should have your head. You should just be bounding. If everything falls apart in your day, you should be like full of joy. You should count it all joy when, when different types of trials and temptations come your way. You should be full of love and joy and peace. And How do we know? Well, I know that I want to be more hungry for the Lord. I know that I don't want to take for granted. I need to be happy how happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Lord, when you speak, do I really treat you like the king is here? Do I really jump up and down inside of my spirit? Do I really want to fall on my face before you because the real king is here? Can I sing the song and it not move my heart with passion? Can I sing things here and it not be the truth of what I'm living? God, help me. God help me if I can sing a song about His is the kingdom and the power and the glory and it not move me to my heart. If it not change the way that I'm thinking and cause me to come into alignment to His will. 
God help me if I'm singing about him being a good father and then I immediately turn around and get ulcers in my stomach because I'm so worried about what's going to happen. I don't have the money. I don't, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't see when this is going to happen. He's either a good father and he loves me or he's not. He's either going to provide for my every need. I'm either, um, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. I have been in points in my life where I thought I might have to beg for bread. <laughs> that account was pretty low. But if it puts a stress on me, if it causes me to think anything other than I will be happy in the courts of my God. I've made less in the past year than I've ever made in my life since I became an adult. Can I tell you that we have been more provided for than my entire life? It's inversely proportional to the amount of money that I'm making. Amen. That's good for me. I don't need to see... I've got zeros in my bank account, just on the wrong side of the decimal. <laughs> Amen. Woohoo! How happy must I be? Lord, you get to show me that you are my provider. It never was about a job or a paycheck anyway. I used to say it. Now I can believe it more. Now there's an intensity in my belief that says, I don't care. A job, you can fire me, you can hire me, you can love me, you can hate me. That's not where my provision is. If God causes me to abound or to abase, I'm going to appreciate either version. I'm going to operate with just as much joy in either version. Is this your standard or or do we have excuses? Have we examined our own heart? Have we examined the place that we're in? Have we examined His Word enough where we find it precious and will give the largest gifts that we can to the Lord? Turn to Luke chapter 17. I hope this is making sense to you tonight. Luke chapter 19, uh, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 17. <clears throat> Don't fall asleep on me now. Bring a snack, bring some gum, find some coffee, something. <laughs> chapter 17, verse 1 of Luke. I've just been having a good time kind of reading through Luke and rereading through Luke and I just, I'm enjoying it. So that's why I'm sharing it with you guys. Chapter uh, 17, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. But woe to that person through whom they come. It's almost like God cares about us. Almost like we're going to have to answer for what we do and don't do. It would be better for him to be thrown into a sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. Did your parents ever say that to you? You better watch yourself. My dad also used to say things like, you're getting too big for your britches. Have you heard that colloquialism? Man, I was uh, getting arrogant and I was not staying in my place in the right shalom. In my home, I was trying to usurp my parents' authority. So they would say, you're getting too big for your britches. And one time, one time, because my dad was completely correct and I was acting too big for my britches, I said a dumb comment about, well, Dad, hopefully I can only be, I said something like, um, instead of maybe if I'm too big for my britches, perhaps I should just get a britch. Like I was trying to, I was trying to go... Like instead of multiple, I was trying to do a singular version of it. Yeah, I said the dumb comment once. (laughs) 
I was corrected as I should have been. Uh, so watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Everybody say rebuke him. This is New Testament, right? This is Luke. This is Jesus. Okay. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, what does it say? Forgive him. Why are you rebuking somebody? So that they won't sin anymore. And they'll, then we forgive them and we move on. This is how this thing works. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent. What does the Bible say? Forgive him. All right, we remember other scriptures that go into multiples of this, 70 times 7, all these different things, right? The principle is, you rebuke, someone has a change of heart, they repent, you forgive. It's just a cycle. The apostles said to him, <laughs> said to the Lord, increase our faith. I think it's kind of funny that they said that. What are they saying? Lord, that's kind of, that's kind of hard. That's, that's difficult to accomplish. I don't really want to do that. Increase our faith. So what does Jesus say? If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, planted in the sea, and it will obey you. In other words, he was saying to these guys, hey, by the way, um, it's not your, you don't have a faith problem. You don't have a faith problem if you can't forgive somebody. That's, that's not what he's saying here. And look at verse 7. Here's what I wanted to focus on. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant, when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? So the master has a servant that's working outside. The servant comes in from working all day. He's saying, would the master then say, oh, please come, sit down, let's eat together. Verse 8, would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? I'm going somewhere, so hang with me. And after that, then you can eat and drink. Verse 9, would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? Isn't this crazy? Tucked away right here in Luke, right? Verse 10, So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, everything, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Okay, let it sink in for a second. I don't know that I've ever heard this verse preached. May, I may have. But I, I really love this. Would the master then thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? Are you with me on the obvious attachment to what our lives should look like this? Don't you want to get a pat on the back? Don't we sometimes go after the approval and the applause of man? Oh, I don't. Well, you do if you get mad that someone didn't recognize you for how well you did. You do if you're murmuring in your heart about how underappreciated we are. He's saying, if you did what you were supposed to do, this is where our, our kingdom principles are at war with our culture around us. Right? We're the culture now. We have raised a generation that said, if you participate, you should get a trophy. Yay, you were there. Let's, we don't want anybody to make them feel like losers. We, wanna, we have to guard our children's self-esteem. So what you're saying is that you don't want a person to ever, ever in their life have to deal with the selfishness that's within our beings. You don't ever want us to have to think that there is an authority that is larger and greater than us and we should yield to them. 
You don't ever actually want us to learn how to encounter the difficulty that's around us. You just want to pretend like it's not there. I, I, love, I love my kids. I am not, uh, how can I say this um, kindly? Um, I am not at all concerned about their self-esteem. I'm preparing men and women in my household. Um, I'm trying to now, I'm trying to listen to what I'm about to say. I try to teach my grandchildren today. I, I don't have grandchildren. I'm trying to teach my kids so that they will impart what they need to to their children and to their children's children and so on. So I am trying to teach things now. Um, my dad was a football coach. So we could never actually go outside in the backyard and just play football. You would get, we, I'd get coached nonstop. And he would coach everybody on TV. Well, you know, if Tom Brady would just throw it this way. I'm like, Dad, seriously, thank you. But what we would work on, we'd go in the backyard and we'd all run routes all summer. This is all we did. And so we'd just run routes and post pattern. You do this and you run. That's, that's what we did. And so... Um, after a while, I'd, I, I was playing, I'd play quarterback, and then we'd, we'd come around. And really what you have to learn is, right in this moment, right now, someone is running around. If I throw to where you are right now, I'm going to be woefully behind you. Have to throw to where you're going to be by the time the ball gets there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Have to anticipate where you're going to be and put the ball where you're going to get there. When we are raising children... When we are in our own lives, I, I'm not just teaching my children for where they are today. I'm anticipating where they're going to be, and I'm also teaching things about that. So that that is very normal, and pretty soon they're going to the ball. They're going to the goal. They're going to the standard that we set. I would never try to harm my children, but their self-esteem is not where I'm focused. Because if they're godly, if they're doing these things, it may be that I tell my children this. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Right? Isn't it normal to want a reward? Boy, I did it and it was good. Can I get a popsicle? It's easy. It's laughable when we're talking about kids, but what is it in our life? Um, I realized a couple years ago that I wanted to reward myself on certain things by, like, we'd go to a movie or we'd go out to eat. And what was the explanation? Well, we deserve it. We, we've worked hard. We've, we've accomplished a lot this week. We're going to... I don't have a problem with you going out to dinner. I don't have a problem with you celebrating. And we've got to understand that this is the kingdom right here. Um, the next one, so we talked about there's no superstars, only servants. There's no excuses, only examination. In this case, I'm going to say that there are no trophies, only towels. You and I do not deserve a trophy. I love you. I think you guys are awesome. I esteem you better than I esteem myself. And we do not all deserve trophies just for showing up. What I do want to do is I want to continue on with what's going on in my life, not ever worrying about the trophy, and if it's really there, I don't pretend like it's not there. I say, Lord, I still want a trophy. I know that's not what you're after. Please forgive me. I just want to be able to take a towel and go wash people's feet. That's it. And if I'm tired because I've washed 50 people's feet, then I just need you to give me strength and give me a dry towel. 
But I'm just going to pick up another towel and keep going with this. Because I don't need a trophy. (laughs) I don't want to need a trophy. Sometimes I do need the trophy. Sometimes I still do that. And I come back to the scripture and I say, Lord, this is not after trophies. Because any trophy that I do get in the kingdom, any crown that I do get, I'm just going to lay it at your feet anyway. How dare I think that it's mine to possess. If there is some type of accolade, Lord, I just want to lay that at your feet anyway and go pick up a towel. Even if it was rightfully given to me. Amen, Lord, this is for you anyway. What do I have that you didn't give me? You allow me to keep breathing every day. I think that um, I'm your servant and I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. I'm just going to fulfill my duty and I don't need some of those other things. Why am I bringing this up tonight? Because it will free you to stop worrying about a trophy. It will free you to go, just pick up the towel. Just pick up the towel. Let's quit thinking that in the middle of the race, if you ever thought about it, really what we're doing is when we get to the end of the race is when we should get when things are really squared up and judged, right? Our modern culture, our modern Christianity wants us to take, we make a lap and we want to celebrate. No, you're running like a 10,000 meter race here. Like, let's just not celebrate every time around the, around the track. Let's just keep running. Let's just let that faithfulness, let's let that endurance come, that perseverance come that God is so pleased with us about and we just keep picking up towels and serving people. We just keep helping the people around us. We just keep going after more and more godliness. <laughs> we just rebuke those who are in sin and they get forgiveness and we move on. Like, let's just keep going. Let's not be so ADD in our endurance. Amen? Verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men, everybody say ten men, who had leprosy met him. That's pretty exciting. They stood at a distance, right? You have to clarify. They didn't like walk up and be like, hey, Jesus, what's up? They stood at a distance and called out in a very loud voice. They called out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. There's something about having clarity to just call yourself what you are. Jesus, have ma- just master, just have pity on us. Just we just need you. Right? When Jesus saw them, he said, "Go and show yourselves to the priests." And as they went, everybody say as they went. As they, went. they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. If there are no superstars, only servants. If we have no excuses, we're only supposed to have examination and be hungry. If there are no trophies, only towels. Then the next one that this verse reminded me of is there's no fullness without faith. There's no fullness without faith. Jesus didn't heal them and then say, go show yourselves to the priest. He said, go show yourselves to the priest. And then they got healed along the way. There are so many scriptural examples that we move before the thing that we've been asking for happens. Lord, I don't know exactly what you're doing, but I'm going to put my house on the market. That's ridiculous. Unless we're trying to walk in faith. Unless we're trying to show God, we heard you say something, we will do it even if it costs us. Well, what do we do if the house doesn't sell? Well, then I guess he'll take care of it. 
I guess God may have to show His provision in other ways. What if I do this, Lord, and what if I fail? doesn't matter because there's no fullness unless I step out in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The, the Israelites were about to cross the Jordan River by, behind Joshua. The priests, you guys know, <laughs> the Ark and the Covenant, and the flo- waters were at flood stage. What did they have to do? They had to walk out, and it says, as the priest's foot touched the water, then it receded. Why don't we serve a God who will just recede it first, and then you walk through? That happens sometimes. Praise God. Because you're like, this is clearly Yahweh God at work. Yay! A lot of times it's this way, though. Just, just do what I said. But I can't see, and what if I make a mistake? And uh, Yep, you could make a mistake. That's what, call, that's what makes it faith. Is that there's a possibility that this thing, that you're not hearing it right. But we step out and we go forward and do what God has told us to do, and the healing comes in the, in the path. It comes along the way as we do what we're supposed to do. Far too many of my friends have waited for the answer from the Lord and put themselves on complete pause in their life and never progressed anywhere. Well, I'm just waiting to be 100% sure. Well, then you're never going to operate in faith and you're never going to go anywhere. If you've got to wait for 100% sure, you're not in faith. I I don't know how to be more clear than that. I'm really happy if I get like 80% sure of something most of the time. I'm like, bonus! That was probably God speaking to me in 17 different ways versus 12. I mean, you know, it was like... Don't wait for 100%. You'll become a statue. You'll become frozen with trepidation and fear. You will accomplish nothing for the kingdom unless you know that with, without faith, you can't have the fullness. I want the fullness. I'd rather make a mistake by jumping out there going, hey God, I tried it. I was so wrong. That was so not you at all. I'd rather do that and him go, you silly boy. Dust me off and send me on. I'd much rather be that way in the kingdom than, what if, uh, uh, don't put yourself through that. Whatever that area is in your life, whatever he's told you, do it. Just do it. Be a fool. Be a fool for him. Move from Louisiana, Daniel. Just do it. Oh, hey, you're here. Okay, my man. You did that. That's great. Verse 15. Before I leave that point. Please understand that God will continually ask you to step out more and more in faith. When we moved to Houston, that was not the last thing that God would ever ask of us. That was not the last time that we may have to sell a house and not take a job and just do what He told us to do. I expect Him to tell me things all the time because He is my Master and I will follow what He says. Why? Because I'm not after the trophy of what I did before. (laughs) Look, I operated in faith. Ta-da! Great. Give me another towel. Sometimes we also rest on our laurels about what has happened, about what God has done in our lives, and it keeps us from answering the next one. Well, Lord, I thought, I mean, that was as much as I knew how to do. Can I tell you how many times I can look back in my life and at that time it was as much as I knew how to do? (laughs) Now I laugh at how small it was. Right? You talk to a, a little kid 
and something that is a big deal to them as an adult, you're like, seriously, this is nothing. Why are you freaking out? Stop freaking out. This is nothing. It's not a big deal. <sighs> All along the way, God asked me to do everything that I could for him. He asked me to give up everything I had at some point. He asked me to trust in him beyond what I thought I could trust in him. When I look back, I'm like, those were such small things. But that I, see, I get excited because I see that he started asking me to do more and more difficult things. I'm like, huh, praise God, I'm growing. Praise God to get an opportunity to give you more, Lord. I thought I gave you everything I had before, but I didn't realize how much I still had left. Now I have a lot less left. This is great. This is the way the kingdom advances, folks. This is just the way it is. He'll ask you today to give everything you have. And you know what he's going to do tomorrow? To give everything you have. And then the day after that, right, just ready to pat, pat yourself on the back, you know what he'll do? He'll ask you to give more. And you're like, uh, I don't know what else I have to give. He's like, I do. There's still some things that you got hidden that you've been keeping just in the extra, just in case. When Christy and I were um, dating, we had this phrase, and we used to call it backdoor. Because we were young enough and dumb enough, me being dumb, not you. Uh, I was dumb enough that we were, we were madly in love with each other. And instead of just saying, this is God's will, we, were, we wanted to create space for God to be able to tell us anything that He wanted to tell us. And we didn't want to make each other our own idol. So we'd say, hey, I love you. We need to get married. Back door. We wanted to leave God's space. Now, it's so clear that we were supposed to get married. I, I could have come to that realization a little bit more. I'm glad God appreciates, you know, a, a pure heart, even if it's with a dumb head that goes, <laughs> you know, like, I, that was clearly, he put this thing together. But we were trying to go, hey, Lord, whatever your will is, if you ask us not to be together, I don't know how we would do it, but we would do it. I mean, that idea of just total surrender to, what, to what's going on. <clears throat> now back to verse 15. Luke 17, verse 15. One of them, one of them, so we had the ten lepers, Jesus heals them, they got healed as they went. They were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God. One out of ten. A remnant. A tenth. A tithe. Praising God in a loud voice. When God does something for you and you called out to Him in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on me. Have pity on us. There was... There was that desperation in the cry initially. Can we worship Him with a little bit more vigor sometime? One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God very quietly and to himself. No, it says in a loud voice. I've been healed! I have been healed! It's awesome! Sometimes we need to get a little excited. I'm kind of a muted person sometimes. Everything's kind of... I'm kind of chill most of the time. Sometimes I need to get more excited. Sometimes I need to praise God in more of a loud voice. You know why? Because He's good. Let me encourage you. With all due respect, so I'm just going to insult everybody. I'm going to insult my kids. I don't care about their self-esteem. I'm about to insult all y'all, so hang on. I don't care what your personality is. I, I love you. I'm glad God has made you the way He's made you. And sometimes you need to worship in a loud voice. 
because he's, he's deserving of it and it just may be the thing that you need to break out of that shell. It may be just the kind of cry that helps clear the fog. It may be just the kind of passion that causes your head to lift when, it, when you can't figure out another way. One of the things that I used to love about working with youth when I did was here, here was a little secret to the youth group. Not just to ours, but other youth groups that I've been working with and high school students when I taught them. I would intentionally get them to do something crazy and physical and games and tennis balls flying across in a circle and all these things that they were just like, this is so much fun. You know what I'm trying to do? Here, I had a strategy. There was a method to my madness. I wanted to get them out of their normal way of thinking and their normalness so that they can then receive the next thing that I had for them. My evil plan. Because I realized that once you got people out of their normal little box, I could do more in the next hour with them than I could have done in 10 hours before that. Let me encourage you. There's no trick to this. Perhaps we should respond just like this guy. I have been healed. I have been set free. I have been sanctified. My life is not at all what it used to be. Praise God in a loud voice. When we get together for prayer before service, absolutely. If you need to be, if you're in a place where you need to be quiet before the Lord and and find a place of repentance in your own heart, please do that. And if we're all just going to pray individually, then there's no need to come together corporately. We should all just go in our own little spaces and let's just get together. Let's, let's build that as it goes. Verse 16, he threw himself at Jesus' feet. <laughs> he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. I love kids in the morning. Like little kids when they're young and they want to crawl up in your bed and they're so snuggly. They're so sweet because they've had enough sleep. Thank you, Jesus. And they're kissable. They want to kiss on you. Right? There's something sweet about that. I can just see this guy in a very juvenile kind of way, in a very childlike fashion, just, oh, oh, thank you, Jesus. You don't know how isolated I was before Jesus. You don't know the pain that I was. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Right? He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. (laughs) I love this next phrase. And he was a Samaritan. (laughs) Just in case, we've got to add this little bit to the story. Because you don't know that beforehand. But by the way, this guy was not even supposed to be doing this. This was an inappropriate social situation. That should not have taken place and all the more. I don't care if you're a Jew. (laughs) I don't care who you are because I was lost and now I'm found. I was broken and now I'm made whole. I was sick and you healed me. Goodness gracious. Jesus asked, and isn't it funny? He He doesn't respond to this guy directly. He's talking to this guy, but that's not the first response. We're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? That whole situation was not lost on Jesus, right? He's getting, he goes, wow. Verse 19, then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, wait a minute. 
Rise and go, your faith has made you well. What was he before then? I thought that on the first go-around, when he said, go and show yourself to the priest, Jesus cleansed him and healed him. Is he saying, go be what I already made you? Or did this man's faith in him coming back to Jesus with an attitude of praise change it from just a physical blessing that God put upon him to say, now it is well with your soul. Come and rest in my salvation. Come and walk with me. Sometimes, guys, I read my Bible too fast. Because if he was healed before and Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. (laughs) That's beautiful. He's not, he didn't get tripped up in the words. Jesus didn't go, oh, I forgot I healed you. There's some healing that you can get without being well. There's some areas that God can touch and it still not be the whole enchilada. (laughs) Because he is good, perhaps he's waiting on us and a thankfulness. So the one before this was no fullness without faith. This one is that there's no growth without gratitude. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no growth in your life without gratitude. Why do you think he had to say that there's no trophy without a towel? If you're expecting to get pat on the back every two seconds, do I thank my employer every time I get a paycheck? I don't. Because I worked for it. If I didn't get the paycheck, there would be a discussion of another type that I would have with my employer. Right? Because it's my wages. I just get my wages and I work for it and I do that. So there's no, thank you so much. If we're expecting God to do certain things and we think that it's our birthright, we think that we're entitled to it, we don't walk around with gratitude. And therefore, we will not grow. For us to grow in the Lord, we have to understand and keep coming back and going, God, wow. How endless are your mercies towards me. How beautiful is your loving kindness that operates in my life. God, when I deserve nothing, because I'm just a servant, I've only barely done my duty, how much grace and favor do you pour? How much favor does God give you in your life? And I'm not talking about finding the best parking place at the mall. All right, Lord, help it. Great. Amen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actual favor from God. I'm talking about actually Him moving and going before you and causing something to work out that you could not have done on your own. Causing you to be at the tip of a spear in just the right place, talking to just the right person. You think that's because you're great? Perhaps we should run back to the one who's actually doing it and say, Lord, we fall at Your feet and in a loud voice we worship You. We are full of gratitude, mighty God, for everything that You've done. Oh my gosh, Lord, I want to be thankful. I want to be so grateful. I want to take time to praise you for what you've done in my life. If he does nothing else in my life, I have no reason to ever complain. Ever. About anything. There's no growth without gratitude. Turn over to Luke chapter 18. Rounding the corner here. Luke 18 verse... 35, it says this, As Jesus approached Jericho, (laughs) 
I love all these travels. He's going here, he's going here, he's going here, he's talking to these people. Verse 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. We know that this is Bartimaeus from another passage. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. He being Bartimaeus, the blind guy. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Sounded like the lepers in the chapter before, huh? Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more. Don't let someone else dampen your walk with the Lord. Don't let someone else silence your call of duty to the Lord. Shout all the more. If people are trying to keep you quiet about your faith, man, <laughs> shout it all the more. Go all the more for God. He shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Well, I'm sure they did. Blind person just started seeing. That, that, that should get some excitement somewhere in there. So, the last one we did was no growth without gratitude. This one I put as there's no receiving without responding. There's no receiving without responding. One of the hardest things as a pastor is when somebody comes up to you and says, would you pray for my friend? Does your friend want to be prayed for? Because if your friend wants to be prayed for, I will pray for them all day long. If you're the one with the desire and the burden, and the friend has no desire and the burden, this isn't going to get very far. Even if I pray for them. I, it was one of my, the things that I liked least about being a principal. At random times, I would have some parent that did or did not know me. And they would ask me to correct their child for them. Would you tell Johnny that he needs to study more? You mean you want me to parent your child right now? You want the non-parent of your child to parent your child? That happened the first year that I was teaching. I was 21 years old, had a bachelor's degree. I am in the classroom I am a 21-year-old teacher, and my oldest students were 18. One of my little babies, fifth, uh, sixth grade maybe, one of my little ones, the parent literally, want, and I, that, that was my response to the parent. You want me to tell your child that they can't do something. Your child wants to play the drums. He'll be a terrible drummer. I say that he's going to play the trumpet. Or he's not going to play. It's okay. We're good. Well, would you tell him because <laughs> you literally can't tell your child no? Huh. This is an interesting thing that we have going on here. But, but what we have here is we have the receiving without responding. Jesus asked a blind guy, a blind man, what does he want him to do for him? What do you need me to do for you? <laughs> um, hello. Blind. 
sitting on the side of the road, beggar. You just saw me. I can't see you, but you saw me sitting over here. (laughs) Why are you asking me that? Because it's important that we respond to what God is saying. When He is here, we need to respond. How about we get some clarity in what we need? How about we have an understanding of our position and we cry out to the God of all creation so that He will come and touch us? We've got to have clarity in our response so that we can receive. If Jesus comes and asks me something, I want to be able to respond to Him. Lord, I'm broken. I need Your help. I need Your strength. I need, I need to see. Amen? Amen? Lastly, Luke 23. Luke 23, and we're going to start in verse 44. In each of these passages, we've had someone who's called out who's cried out in a different way. And we've learned different things from each of these. There's no superstars. There's only servants. There are no excuses, only examination that proves our hunger. There are no trophies. There's only towels. There's no fullness without faith. There's no growth without gratitude. There's no receiving without responding. And then this final one, Luke 23 and verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. The final thing that I wanted to share with you is this. But there's no completion without commitment. There's no completion without commitment. (laughs) If we have anything less than giving God our all, we will fail to complete His mission for us. Obviously, Jesus had this, Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. Why could He say that then? It's because His entire life was committed to doing exactly what His Father told Him. Jesus didn't say anything unless His Father would have said it. He didn't do anything unless His Father instructed Him to do it. How much more should we be that way? That is the example. That is the standard. Lord, there is nothing that should compete with You. We don't want to lift our eyes anywhere else. We don't want to be satisfied with anything else but You.